Chapter 17 Aldria Doc looked at me like I was some sort of mythological deity. I had injured the monster. I guess no one had ever done that before. But it had been a close thing. I hated to admit it, but a big, male Andalite warrior could have done it with a single tail strike. It took me three. And yet, I had done it. I felt satisfaction no more. My war was not against these monsters, as Doc called them. My war was with the Yurks. We should get away before more monsters come, Doc said. No, by now the entire area back up there, above the mist, will be crawling with Yurks. They cannot afford to let me live. They can't let either of us live, I added hastily. They'll bring down all the Geds they have, and all the hork too, if they have more of them. Then we must stay within the deep, Doc said grimly. We must stay here in the realm of monsters, while my people are taken by these yurks. Maybe your people will fight. No, they will be taken. They will be made into slaves of the Yurks. They will not fight. I might have saved them. Instead, I followed you, Aldria. I didn't know if he was angry at me, or angry at himself. Both, I guessed. Would he leave me? No. He cared for me. We had more in common than he could ever have with any hork It was too late for Doc. He knew that the stars were not flowers. And having learned so much, he still needed to learn more. He was hungry for it. For ideas. For knowledge. For skills. And only I could feed that hunger. No, he would stand by me. I was sure of that. He would hate himself for making that choice. But that didn't matter. Not now. All that mattered now was destroying the Yurks. Doc, eventually, we must find a way to contact my people. I said. We may have to steal a Yurk ship. We may have to fly, Doc. We may have to go up into space. It was what Doc wanted most, I knew. To experience space. To fly up to the stars. It was a promise he could never refuse. A bribe. Doc stopped walking. I stopped and turned back to face him. What's the matter? You did not have to say that, Aldria. You do not have to hold out a ripe Nawin cone to make me stay with you. All this time together, Aldria. And yet you don't know that I would sacrifice anything for you? I could only stare. Stare and burn with humiliation. He had seen right through me. I felt small and shabby. I should have said I was sorry. But that too would have been a lie. You see, at that moment, nothing mattered to me. Nothing but erasing the pain of watching my family burn. What Doc thought of me, even what I thought of myself, none of that really mattered. Doc would stay with me and I would find a way to pay the Yurks back. 
Doc, do you have any idea what is further down in the deep? No, Aldria. Already we have gone further than any Hork-Bajir ever. Let's go further still, I said. There was no other option. We walked more slowly now, always downhill. It was a nervous walk. The mist was all around us. We had seen one of the monsters already, and I now knew they were not mere myth. But I was pretty sure we had lost any Yurk pursuit, at least for the moment. And yet, although we Endolites are not superstitious, we do have our own ancient myths of dark, deep places within the ground. Places of fear and loathing. And those myths were surfacing in my mind now. The mist grows thinner, Doc said. He was right. I could see him more clearly. And now I was beginning to be able to see down the slope a short distance. Nothing but scruffy, blazingly red and green and blue bushes. No monsters. Not that I could see, anyway. Down and down we went. Hour after hour. Down, ever down, through a weird twilight. Without being attacked. Without seeing any more monsters. Had our small victory scared them off? I swiveled my stock eyes constantly. And then I happened to look up. The sky was brilliant blue. It's some kind of vapor barrier, I said. Somehow the atmosphere down here in the deep interacts with the atmosphere in the valley above us and forms a layer of vapor. The blue color must be a byproduct of the interaction. I tried to run through my basic chemistry and get some idea of what we were breathing. I came up with some possibilities. None of them exactly comforting. Still, the air, while horribly humid and thick, was breathable. Down here, one cannot even see the valley above, Doc said. A creature living here would think the blue mist was the sky. He was right. Only the source of light was below us, not truly above. I knew that beyond the blue barrier, it was night. And yet, the blue glowed, reflecting light. As we went ever downward, the light brightened. It was still a sickly, unnatural light, more radioactive than radiating, if you know what I mean. But at least we could see. And what we saw was that the landscape around us was home to a bizarre array of the brightly colored bushes and a few stunted, twisted trees that Doc refused to acknowledge were trees at all. Here and there, absurdly fast streams cut through the sparse, tired grass and into the bare rock underfoot. You could hear the water racing, having gathered momentum all the way down from the valley above. Some streams were quite large, eight or ten or fifteen feet across. We began to realize that the ground was leveling off just a little. It was almost as flat as the meadow where we'd built our scoop. Flat by hork standards. But the land seemed to stop or fall away, less than a quarter mile ahead. We advanced cautiously, slowly, and then, quite suddenly, we could see the end of the land. It simply stopped.
What can this be? Doc asked. I don't know. I admitted. It's your planet. Not this part of it. Step by step. Closer. Closer. Till we stood on the very edge of the cliff. I arched my upper body forward. I could not imagine how Doc could deal with the height, standing on only two legs, with nothing but a tail to help support him. I looked down, fearful. Then I looked down again, in utter astonishment. It was a chasm. Sheer cliffs on both sides. Sheer as walls. I could see across the chasm to the far side, far better than I could see straight down. The walls of the chasm were covered in an amazing intricate filigree. Windows, doors, walkways, arches, open spaces cut back into the cliff. All connected vertically by stone stairways. Thousands of feet below, below all this incredible construction, maybe tens of thousands of feet, was the valley floor. It was not as bright as a sun, but it was bright enough to cast shadows upward from every stair and arch and windowsill. It glowed red and yellow and seemed to seethe with slow, sluggish movement. We were looking at the molten heart of the planet. Chapter 18 Esplin 9466 In an instant, I had learned one of the terrible drawbacks of having a host body. A host body can be hurt, and the pain cannot be filtered out. The very capability that gives us control ties us into the pain. The hork had slashed me with his blade. He had aimed the blow well. The spine of my host body was cut in two. All of the body below my chest ceased to exist. I lay helpless. No one came. For a very long time, I lay there, staring up at the night sky through the ominous hork trees. I saw spacecraft landing. I heard the grunts of Geds rushing around in futile pursuit of the Andalite. Only hours later did anyone come looking for me. They dragged me aboard the nearest fighter and ferried me back up to the transport ship. I drained back into the Yurk pool. I was blind again. Blind and being interrogated mercilessly. Where did the Andalite go? I don't know. How many hork were with her? Only one. What happened to Carter? He ran away. Beyond that, I don't know. Over and over again. And the more I was questioned, the more I learned. A total of seven of our people had passed through the blue vapor barrier. One had survived to tell wild tales of huge, shambling monsters appearing out of the mist. Eventually, it was decided that the Andalite girl must have died too. If these monsters had killed our people, surely they had killed the Andalite as well. Only I disagreed. Just because some Geds were killed, just because Kurger was killed, that does not mean the Andalite died. Do you mean to imply that an Andalite girl is stronger, braver, more resourceful than our own warriors? Yes, I said. Yes! 
the Andalites did not become the dominant species in this part of the galaxy by being weak or stupid or cowardly. But no one listened, and I was left to wander, blind, around the home that had once been my entire universe, and was now a filthy trap. At last, days later, when enough Hork-Bajir had been taken, I was given a new host party, a new Hork-Bajir. We have sent strong armed parties into the blue mist, Akdor told me. He now had a Hork-Bajir host body too. The monsters are real. They have killed more of us. We found the bodies of the others. We searched for the body of the Andalite, but did not find it. I listened, trying not to gloat too openly. It seems you were right, Esplin 9466. Now you will go back to the surface. You will find this Andalite, and you will destroy her. Yes, Actor, I will. And if I do, what will be my reward? You will be made subvisor. How many troops will you need? None, Actor. I will go as a spy, not a conqueror. I will pass as hork I will find the Andalite, and I will kill her. But of course, I was lying. You see, I had already realized one very important thing. From now on, the host party one had would be an indication of power. Already there were lines of distinction between Yurks who had Ged hosts and Yurks who were given the new, powerful hork bodies. These hork would be our shock troops. But there was still one host better than hork Andalite. Yes, the Yurk who could take an Andalite host would be more than a mere sub visor The Yurk who could take and hold an Andalite host would be a visor at the very least. And someday? Who knows? A seat on the Council of Thirteen? I will take care of this matter, Akdor, I said. I will deal with the Andalite. Chapter 19 Aldria Father Deep, that's what the hork called it. They thought it was the land of monsters, below the mist. But the zone of monsters was fairly narrow. I now had some understanding of the layout. The upper valley, above the blue mist barrier, was hork land, a land of steep inclines and gigantic trees. Beneath the mist was a somewhat more level belt that encircled the valley. In this zone of dense fog and eerie plants, the monsters lived. Now we were in the third zone, no longer a steep valley, but sheer cliffs. Cliffs that were covered by a complex of walkways, stairways, arches, carved out plazas, homes, businesses. They had every imaginable feature of a moderately advanced civilization, but one. They were empty. No one seemed to be living here. I would cut off my tail for a portable sensor, I said. What is a portable sensor? It's a device you can carry that performs a number of functions. It would tell us how old this place is. I don't know if all of this was created last week, last millennium, or at the dawn of history. We were descending the cliff face by an endlessly long stairway. 
Every few dozen feet, the stairway would broaden out into a landing. A walkway would cross the landing. Along the walkways, we could see doorways. I was primed, ready, expecting attack at any moment. But the silence seemed to speak of emptiness. Emptiness everywhere in the valley around and below us. Not that I wanted to think about what was below us. If I strayed off the steps, I'd fall. I'd fall for a very long time. Down, down, till I hit the exposed core of the planet. Of course, long before I hit the actual bottom, I'd be incinerated. But that wasn't a very comforting thought. We reached yet another landing, and we both froze. This walkway was different. It was broader by far, chiseled deeper into the cliff. And a hundred feet down the walkway, we could see some sort of vast opening. Shall we investigate it? Why not? So we headed down along the walkway. And there, on our right, we came upon the opening. An opening so vast, it could have been a hangar for a fleet of ships. We stepped into the opening. It was nice to move away from the cliff face and that precipitous drop. But the size of this space was intimidating. I felt I should bow my head. You could play three separate games of drift ball at once in that space. The sound of my hooves echoed off stone walls I could not even see in the gloom. What do you suppose this place is? I asked. Doc just shook his head. He was looking up in wonder, searching for the roof we knew was above us, but couldn't see in the deep shadows. It's an open place, at least, I said. We could stay the night here. We need rest. And I don't think the Yurks will come after us any more tonight. Even if they did, how would they find us in this absurd maze of walkways and openings? It would be good to rest, Doc said. We cannot stay in any of the smaller dwellings we saw. Too small. Too confining. I certainly agreed with that. No one wanted walls around them and roofs above them if they could avoid it. On board a spacecraft, it was inevitable. But this space was so large, it might almost have been an open field. No trees, Doc said. And the flat horizontal angle of the floor is disturbing to me. But on the positive side, no yurks. Yes, we can sleep here. I will take the first watch, I said. Doc slept as hork do. He relaxed his legs and slumped down into a sort of sitting position, with legs slate out in front of him and thick tail providing a third support. His head fell forward, chin to chest. He was asleep instantly, as far as I could tell. I was jealous. Sleep isn't always that easy for me. For most Andalites. We are a watchful species. My mother explained it to me once when I found myself unable to sleep for several days. We no longer have predators to attack us, she'd said. 
But evolution does not just throw away adaptations that were necessary once. The animals we evolved from were prey for millions of years. They lived in vast herds, always watched by hungry predators. This was before we developed our tail blades, and we had no protection but speed. We still feel the need to watch for predators. It may be a million years before we lose that instinct. My mother was good at explaining things like that. It's what she did. She was a scientist, like I was supposed to be. But now she was dead, in part because we Andalites had begun to forget that instinct for caution. We had forgotten that even though the predators on our own world had died out, there were still predators loose in the galaxy. Or at least parasites. I stood there in the gloom, in the faint reflected glow from the valley floor, and I remembered the searing light from the shutters as they ripped my family apart, atom by atom by atom. I had to find a way to contact the fleet or the home world. Nothing would save this planet now but the appearance of a full-fledged Andalite war fleet. That meant Z-space communication. A radio signal would take decades to reach anyone. I needed advanced zero-space transponders. And the only ones on this planet were aboard the ships the Yurks controlled. No need for concern, Aldria, I said to myself. Just walk up to the nearest Yurk landing area, tell them you want to borrow the fighter, initiate contact with the home world, and suggest they rush directly to our assistance. Nothing whatever to worry about. I looked at Doc, asleep, his forehead horns raked forward, arms bent to keep the blades outward. He would be hard to attack while sleeping, I thought. From behind, the tail spikes. From the sides, the arm blades. From the front, the horns. He'd said he would do anything for me. He'd said it in a way that... No, that was ridiculous. We were different species. Totally, completely different. And yet, I enjoyed spending time with him. I enjoyed talking with him. I missed him when we were separated. Perfect, Aldria. I laughed to myself. He's covered with blades. He'll soon be seven feet tall. He eats with his mouth, and he swings through the trees. I was just lonely. That was it. There were no Andalite males around, and I was at the appropriate age for an interest in males. If there had been an interesting Andalite around, I'd have cared nothing about Doc. There are no Andalite males, I reminded myself. And even if there were, you have no choice but to care about Doc. At the very least, the fleet would take two months to arrive, and this strange, bladed creature is your only friend. Two months. If I could reach my people. If. And if I could not reach my people, could Doc reach his? Could the simple, placid hork be made to rise up and save themselves? Was Doc Hami the seer ready to become Doc Hami the general? Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And I've got some hot, new, fresh messages, hot off the press. 
So let's just get into uh, what you wonderful fans have been saying. I have an anonymous message uh, on Tumblr. That Tumblr is audiomorphscast.tumblr.com if you'd like to write in this way. Uh, that says, By the way, you apologize for blowing out your mic during the chapters where Aldria's family died, but it honestly would have been a disservice not to go that hard. The intense emotion was palpable and so incredibly... Mwah, that was a chef kiss. Uh, keep up the great job. Thank you so much, anonymous Tumblr user. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, if I were better at sound engineering, like um, not an amateur, I'm sure. I, I'm sure there's ways to yell in a mic that isn't just like gonna destroy your sound waves. I don't know them, so you know, I just I just do what I do. Um, and I agree, but I also do still apologize because uh, you know, if you're wearing headphones, I'm sure it could be bad. I don't know. I don't. I don't listen to this on headphones. Um, I just I just listen on my speakers when I'm editing. Um, and it sounded okay there, so I hope it was okay in headphones, and if not, I hope you all saw my warning and didn't get spooked or startled. Uh, I also have an email uh, coming in from Gmail, that's audiomorphcast at gmail.com, from Sabrina, who writes, uh, titled, Happy Birthday. Oh, thank you. Sabrina writes, Hey Daniel, hope you have slash had a wonderful birthday this week. Spoilers, I did. Audiomorphs has been a wonderful part of my weeks for a couple of years now. Uh, I just went back to check the date on my then iTunes review soon after I discovered the pod. That was more than two years ago. And then, uh, oh, my handle there uh, was She'll Be Your Hero, which I vaguely recall. And then, uh, spoilers, I did just check the reviews before starting this recording, and she's left an updated review I will be reading, so get ready for that. <laughs> Uh, but to continue with this message, anyways, was thinking I wanted to take your birthday as an opportunity to say thank you. I remembered, and appreciated, what you were saying during the BLM protests a while back, and I thought I'd take this opportunity to make a donation in honor of your birthday to an, excuse me, to an organization that supports those values. Color of Change. Shout out Color of Change. I've donated to them in the past before as well. They send me emails still. Since I have enjoyed hearing about how our, how our Australian friends... Hearing about our Australian friends' pictures. That was a bit of a tongue twister for me. I figured you might like getting a little slice of life from my current corner of the world, too. I am currently in SoCal, a bit north of LA. I grew up here, but we move a lot. My kids haven't lived here very long. So I've been trying to take my kids out to enjoy some iconic sights in the area this spring. We have a beautiful bloom of wildflowers here, in the desert, and the poppy reserve is gorgeous this year. This past week, we've had a bit of rain and some lovely rainbows on my way to work at a, camp at a campground in the mountains. That sounds awesome. I was able to change this one. I was able to catch this one before it disappeared. And the last picture is our little air park. The big industry in our little area is aerospace, and they've collected some of the iconic old planes and put them on display. This is the A-12, nicknamed Archangel, designed to replace the U-2, nicknamed Angel. That. Seems like a logical progression. Uh, this is the first one built, and apparently was the prototype for the whole Blackbird family of planes. Anyways, just a little peek into my little corner of the world, and some of the things I'm looking uh, some of the things I'm looking around at while listening to you do such an excellent job with Audiomorphs. Thanks so much, Daniel. Uh, I think you mean our little corner of the world, because I am also in Southern California, although uh, slightly more south than you. Uh, but very cool. Thank you for writing in, Sabrina. Oh, there is, uh, with gratitude, Sabrina, 
And then P.S. At our house, we've been playing Super Mario Odyssey lately, and the whole bit with taking over our enemies by capturing them with your hat always makes me think about the Yerks, and I find myself with a lot of ethical misgivings. LOL. Anyone else? If you have ethical quandaries about Super Mario Odyssey and would like to share your opinions, please chime in. And uh, she did send me some lovely photos. Those are some real pretty wild wildflowers with the mountains in the background. Listen, I grew up mostly in Indiana. It's flat. Flat as a board. I'm always excited to see mountains in the distance. It's just picturesque. It hits different. Uh, got lovely campground with the rainbow. We'll love to see that. Uh, campgrounds are fun. I'm not an outdoor person, but I like the idea of a campground. <laughs> and uh, there's the photo with the plane. Very cool. We love planes. Um, and now, to transition, <laughs> let's jump back over and check in with Sabrina again um, over on Apple Podcasts, where she has left an updated review. If you would like to leave a rating and review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so, titled Who Knew uh, says, I was looking for audiobooks at the library to introduce my kids to the series, but couldn't find any. Found a website that led me to you. I want to shout out um, John Raz. One of the first people to ever write, I think maybe the first person to ever write into me. I believe that is his website where he has compiled a directory full of Animorphs podcasts. Uh, so shout out to you. You're always spreading the good word. Uh, thank you so much. Um, so found a website that led me to you. Thank you. Such complex themes I never noticed as a kid. Unfortunately, my kids are not ready for this yet, but now I know. I am updating this because I find myself checking every Thursday for new episodes. For some reason, I thought it was Thursday, not Friday. Uh, but since I didn't know, I find myself on edge. Will he or won't he post this week? Uh, <laughs> were you the one who called me out uh, way back when? That might have been your review of how I technically upload on Thursdays, but I say it's Friday. Um, because I upload in Pacific time and I figure like around 7 o'clock on a Thursday is around 10 p.m., you know, on uh, Eastern time. And this way I've, I'm not stressing about scheduling things. I'm not stressing about forgetting before work or anything like that. So I just do it on Thursday. But I say it's Friday because uh, I wanted a Friday podcast. I thought that was a good day to release things. <laughs> um, but uh, to finish this review... I actually had started reading ahead during the last book, but I found I really look forward to see how you will do each voice. I was excited to see how the new Andalites would speak. Thanks for bringing this world to life for all of us. I decided to just keep listening, not even read the physical books. I had been getting them from the library. The only problem is I keep thinking of parts of the book during my day and have no one to share it with. Uh, well, thank you so much for the review, Sabrina. If you want to share them with me, you can always write in. Um... And uh, very, very honored that uh, you like what I'm doing enough that you're not even bothering with the physical books. That's very cool for me. And I hope these Andalite voices are okay. I always struggle a little bit with Andalites. I don't quite know the vibe for them most times. I'm just sort of, you know, it's time to record. So let's see what comes out of my mouth. Uh, but thank you so much for the review. Thank you so much for listening along. Thank you so much for the birthday wishes and the donation to Color of Change. Uh, I appreciate all of that and the photos. A lot of thanks to Sabrina. Thank you. That is all the write-ins I have for y'all. Uh, you already heard two ways of contacting me, but a third way you could do that is through my website, theapodcalypse.com. That's the apodcalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Um, and you can also reach me on Twitter at Audiomorphs. 
there, I'll probably just reply to you instead of reading it on the show. Uh, it's a little bit more casual. And it's also where you should check if, um, like Sabrina, you're like, is he going to post today? I don't know. If I'm late, I try to put an update there for uh, everyone. Uh, let's see, what else? That's that's all I got to say. We covered the reviews. We covered the website. Um, we even covered telling telling a friend or telling others through John Raz, who's been a in my corner since day one, just about. Um, so, you know, all of that. You, If you want to be like all those people who wrote in or told people or left a review... I have left you the avenues from which to do that, and the power is now in your hands. Um, I've taken up enough of your time, so thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. Yeah.